Welcome to Building Worthiness. This podcast is all about recognizing how lovable we truly are so that ultimately we can find our way back home to our inner loving spirit. And I use my own awakening journey as an example, but it's very relevant to all of you because everything that I had to learn and go through on the journey of building worthiness is applicable to everyone. And today's episode is all about healing core patterns that I had when I was younger that really weren't serving me in the world and seeing my emotion truly. And this all started from when I was about 18. And this is something that is a part of building worthiness for all of us. It's it's how we gently let go of those layers of ego that really aren't serving us in the world. And it's always about, you know, taking responsibility, realizing that we are responsible for how our lives are turning out. But doing that with with real honesty, but also great compassion and great kindness. None of us is meant to develop patterns that aren't helpful you know they've just come because we've experienced very difficult conditioning or trauma and I'll give you an example of that you know something that I see in my practice with clients all the time is fear of abandonment or fear of rejection and that often comes when the love that we experienced as a child wasn't or either it was missing or it was very insecure or it was very conditional, which of course tends to leave the, lung, the young child feeling like they're not lovable, that they're going to be rejected. And of course that's not the case. They're totally lovable. It's just that their parent or parents are caught in their own stuff. But then that fear of rejection or abandonment or not being good enough will then often create patterns in the world that if we don't see with honesty, we can't step through them and start to heal them. And the typical patterns that fear of abandonment create could be things like keeping relationships at a distance because obviously we're scared, we're going to be abandoned, so we tend to um, not let people in in the first place. Or it might be that when we do let people in, then we cling very um, tenaciously to the partner We might want to be a bit controlling because we're scared of what's happening or what that partner is doing. Or sometimes it might be that we keep lots of partners on the go at once because it's less vulnerable that way and we've got someone to fall back on. You know, so there's all sorts of things that one fear can create and it will create different things in different people. And if we learn to see that fear with just the greatest compassion, we can realise what it's doing to us, and then we can start to shift those patterns. So the patterns I described that I had in my young life, some of you will have very similar patterns, some of you will have very different patterns. And it's not that that matters, it's more that we learn that if something in our life is not going well, say our relationships aren't working or our work life isn't working or that we just sit quietly with that and we observe it and we see, hmm, what could that be coming from? 
And then we hold that fear with great compassion and we start to work on shifting the pattern. So I mentioned before that this is a revision of an old podcast. So I'll put you now to the original recording. So I grew up in a family that was a loving family. I was the youngest of five and I had my two parents. But there was a lot of mental illness in the family. And I'm not going to talk about that a lot because most of my family members are still alive. But that certainly did have a huge impact on me. And by aged 18, I was starting to feel quite a degree of overwhelm and anxiety in my life. Just an ever-present low-grade anxiety. I had started studying medicine by then, and so of course I was quite busy, but it was very much around how was I meant to deal with these people in my life that I loved so much that I knew were really suffering. And the two things that came out of that, one of them was survivor guilt. Um, I'd had a bit of a better time in my family than my siblings. I came five years later than the rest of them, and I was naturally good at maths and science, which meant that things went more smoothly for me. So I felt a lot of guilt and unworthiness and that it just somehow was so unfair and not okay that I'd had that easier time than them. I did start having counselling at the time and I also started meditation and I realised and really understand now that guilt is a very unhelpful emotion and what I needed to do was to just accept my life and own the value that I had and really go for it. And the best thing we can do is step into life, own it fully, own our value, know we are worthy and that we are all worthy. And that sets an example for our loved ones to follow in the same direction. And the second thing that I did and this was because I was a very sensitive human and I felt the pain, I felt the ache in my loved family members and somehow just thought it was my responsibility to fix that or save that or rescue it. And I'm not going to talk about my experience of this so much um, just to preserve privacy for my family, but I will talk about clients that I've seen that that do this. And I call it people carrying, and it's where we have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, thinking that we have to fix others. And I've got this beautiful um, saying on the wall of my therapy room, which is, it's not our task to solve another's problems or take away another's pain. All lessons in life are necessary and produce growth and therefore joy. And that comes from Letters from the Cosmos. And that saying has been beautiful for me because I really have had to learn in my life that the lessons that we all have, the learning experiences, the emotions, they are all there as part of our growth. And so it's not wholesome or helpful to try and take those learning opportunities away from other people because that's their opportunity to grow. So I've seen many clients over the years that do this thing. 
I call it people carrying, but really it's a type of codependency. And it's where you become so sensitive to other people's emotional needs that you think you have to rescue them and carry them emotionally all the time. And it's incredibly draining. And for the other person, it just fosters dependence. So if you're being codependent, they're being dependent. And that's not healthy or wholesome for them at all, nor is it healthy for you. There's another aspect of that, and this is something that I've been guilty of, and certainly when I um, first started getting into mindfulness, is you know, we can have a tendency to think that we can give advice to other people or advise other people on the way forward. It's a little bit like thinking we do have to, you know, fix or save others. But there's definitely ego in it. It's it's that we think that we know the right way forward for them when in actual fact who they're being exactly in that moment, exactly as they are, is the right way forward for them. And so I've had my fingers burned many times trying to give advice when it was very much unwanted and unneeded. So both of those two things, the tendency to fix or carry others, which which generally comes from good heart, but can be take us away from honoring our core needs. And it really is depleting for our own self-esteem. So that and, and giving advice are two things I very much had to learn to steer clear of. There's something else I want to mention here, and I know many of you are experiencing this because I've seen it in my practice, and it was certainly my experience as a young person, and that is that it's, it is very painful to watch people we love suffer. And But as I've just been saying, we do have to learn how to, yes, love them, yes, be empathetic with them, but to just let that situation be. And in recent years, I've had this beautiful image, and I think I talked about in the first episode, that once I started to enter into the light, I had a meditation experience of Jesus on the cross and that he was um, transcended of suffering, that he was so deeply immersed in light in love in the essence of what we are that he was transcendent of suffering on the cross and I had this beautiful thing come up around Mary his mother and it was about you know that was a situation which could have appeared to be suffering and to know that she was also in that space of deep awareness deep truth and to know that her son, her beloved son, was in that space and transcendent of suffering. And so when I have loved ones that I'm sad about or concerned for, that's what I try and do is just hold them in that space where in fact they truly are deeply in the light, in love, transcendent of suffering. And I know that that's healing for myself and for them. The next stage in my life that was very beautiful but um, that I do want to talk about because there was definite learning for me and it was when I met my beloved husband Dan and it was really about when I met Dan first of all that I was managing 
for the first time in a decade because in the first sort of 10 years of my life of meeting men and going out with men, I had a real tendency to dump the boyfriends that were actually nice and to go for people that weren't capable of really loving me. And that had been part of my conditioning, you know, my my unworthiness. And I see it very often in clients that if they've experienced, you know, a lack of love, not because their parents meant to do that, but just because their parents had their own issues or if they'd experienced abandonment or criticism, that very often we repeat those patterns in the partners we choose. And I want to encourage you with Dan I had had already a fair bit of therapy and I was learning how to be present and I knew he was a loving being. But I must admit that that real infatuation wasn't there so much and I want to let you know that that real infatuation often is an ego phenomenon and we often feel that um, towards people that that our conditioning uh, would choose to go for. So those that I might have felt really infatuated by were definitely not the right kind of humans for me. So picking Dan was a process of moving beyond patterns. And once I realized I needed to stay with him, I did fall in love with him very quickly and have never regretted that. One thing that happened though when we first went out was that I still had a lot of pain inside me. My family was still really suffering. I perhaps still had some guilt. I was still burdened by thinking I was meant to be carrying them. And Dan copped it. You know, I was in pain and I was projecting it on him. And we did go to a therapist a few times um, in our early life together. And especially because my parents were splitting up at the time too and, and there was no one else in my family that was having a successful relationship. So it really felt like I was moving beyond conditioning and kind of walking on the moon in a way. It was new territory. And Dan copped a very hard time from me because I there was so much raw emotion. And I really had to accept when we went to the therapist and the therapist told me that it was all my stuff and my ego didn't like that, but I had to go home and realize that it was me. I was too reactive and I really had to learn how to just observe my reactivity, how to notice my pain, how to sit and just notice my pain, observe it. And the more I did that, I wouldn't take it out on Dan. Of course, I did have to say sorry to Dan a lot at the time as well. But that was really uh, a very important part of my learning, particularly seeing a therapist and being told it was mostly my stuff, which it definitely was. Um, you know, healing involves moving beyond the ego and the ego really doesn't like it when it, when it first has to start facing itself and seeing its faults and seeing these conditioned patterns that aren't helpful. It's tough, but it, it's such good learning. And that's has stood me in good stead, really, for the rest of my life. The next, I guess, very challenging moment for me was when I started to have young children, when I had my first child, Sam, and then Joe, my two much-beloved boys. And again, 
at that time, my family members were still really struggling and there was one particularly loved family member who was being severely over-medicated by a psychiatrist and that was incredibly painful for me to witness. So my children came at a time when there was great sadness in the family and because I had a lot of grief, I chose before I had my first son to avoid reading anything about babies and that was probably one of the first times in my life where I've really avoided and it's because I was so scared, I I was scared that I wasn't going to cope because I knew the family environment was going to be challenging for me and so I avoided reading anything and that was the worst thing I could have done. So of course when Sam was born I didn't have any idea about how to get him to sleep and didn't know I was meant to put him down for day sleeps and he became very overtired and I became very overtired. So I had to learn then, and I must say that was one of the times in my life when I definitely was clinically depressed and I knew it and I had to really learn then how I was going to get myself out of it and I chose not to take medication because I'm And I'm really pleased about that because it's not that I think that medication is bad and I know it certainly has value. It's just that I do think that in the medical profession we can be too quick to put people on medication and therefore not encourage them to learn just the useful tools and the ability to accept themselves and to acknowledge their emotions and to start to discover presence, all those things that will heal us in a more wholesome and long-term manner. So anyway, I was in this very difficult moment and I had to start to figure out how I was going to survive. And so the tools I learned here, I know have been really useful in my therapy with clients and in my ongoing life. So the things I had to learn, first of all, I had to learn how to set really clear boundaries. And initially that was clear boundaries on sleep. I had to teach Sam to sleep, which was quite hard given that I hadn't done that for the first eight weeks. And so I taught him to sleep during the day first, which was fantastic and gave me much more of a break. And at around six months, because he'd been waking four or five times a night, and I really knew that if I didn't get that sorted, I was going to end up in a psych ward. And so I knew I had to choose to teach him to sleep. So I did the control crying and yeah, it was tough for a week or two, but we got over it. And that was really the beginning of me starting to heal from the depression some of the many other things that I had to do, I had to learn to allow my grief. I did have this beautiful child, but it was in a setting of a very painful moment for my family. And I just had to give myself time and let myself grieve, cry, go to my room, let it all out. And that was a part of healing for me. And also to not give myself a hard time that I was feeling that in a moment when I thought I should be feeling joyous. I mean, I was joyous about my son, but there was also a lot of grief. Probably the next thing that I needed to do was, I call it people-pleasing, and 
I had to stop doing that. And, you know, most of us in the world, we want to be approved of, we want to be accepted, we want to be loved. And that was very much the case for me at the time. But I just simply wasn't capable of doing all the things that life would normally require of going out socially quite as much as my husband would have liked or going out with friends as much as they would have liked. In fact, I barely managed at that time to catch up with with many friends. I just had to keep up with a few that I knew I could manage to see and I had to limit the amount that I went out. Even though it was important that I did go out, I, I had to make sure I went out at times. So I had to stop people-pleasing, which meant saying no, which meant standing up for myself. It meant sometimes being disapproved of by others. But, you know, we don't get to be approved of in this life if we want to heal. And that was very much the beginning of me learning how to honour my core truth. I was still, to a degree also, thinking I had to rescue or carry the family, so I had to continue to learn how to extricate myself from that, to love them but to not feel that I was responsible for them. Another thing I needed to do was to really let my in-laws in. Um, My husband has beautiful parents and they were available to be able to help look after the kids at times. But because I had so much pain around my own family situation, there was it was actually painful that Dan's family was available and my family weren't. And I could have let that pain get in the way of allowing my in-laws to look after the kids. But thank goodness I'd had enough therapy and I knew that I had to move beyond that. And it was so valuable that they were able to look after my kids. My mum and dad really loved my children. It's just that they were so struggling with their own issues that there wasn't the availability. And there's another thing that I think is probably one of the most key things that I had to learn. And this is, of course, a big part of mindfulness and spirituality. And that is I had to learn non-resistance. And the whole situation, you know, and for all of us in life, when we have something that's happening that's really challenging we want to resist it or fight it or hate it and when we're in that struggle we're really creating our own suffering and once we learn to work with something to accept it then it gets much easier and and so I knew I just had to learn to accept the family situation as it was I had to learn to nurture myself And I had to learn all these other tools as to how to heal. And one thing also, you know, as new parents, when you first have a child and suddenly your life's not your own and you've got this beautiful little thing that you have to look after 24-7 and there can be, or certainly there was in me, I noticed a degree of resistance to that. You know, where's my life gone? And I fairly quickly recognized that I had to just accept this was the new normal. I think though, if I'm being honest, there certainly was a bit of victimhood in me around that time. You know, I was sad and struggling that there wasn't family available and that it felt really hard and there was a bit of woe is me going on. And I knew though that I had to get around to acceptance, even if in many moments I was 
annoyed and frustrated and sad and that's just who I was in that moment. What I know now though and what I see as the value of that time is that it really started my ability to learn to listen to my inner needs and to be disapproved of if it meant nurturing myself and that is absolutely key in healing. Some of the other things that I needed to learn, um, around that time I remember an incident, it was three weeks after my first child Sam was born and it was my birthday and on that day not a single member of my family remembered to contact me and I remember at the time feeling incredibly hurt because, you know, it was a fragile moment and I was aching for a bit of love and support and it, for a little while I was hurt and upset but I started to recognise that they weren't trying to hurt me. You know, they just forgot. They were just all caught in their own emotional stuff at the time and this is something that is also key to healing is that quite often in life we feel very hurt by other people. But if we tune deeply into that human and we see their conditioned patterns, their deep emotion, their pain, their fear, very often we realize that they're only behaving in the way that they can manage to behave given all the stuff that's going on inside them. And I certainly started to have that insight. I knew my family loved me. I knew they weren't trying to hurt me. It was just I was in an oversensitive moment. But it is very key to healing to be able to recognize that humans that are hurtful are being controlled by their own unconscious emotion and conditioning. And it doesn't really, it's not our stuff, okay? It's to do with them. Because what happens is we start to think that there's something wrong with us. And over the years, many clients that I've seen when they've been treated badly have come out of it thinking that there's something wrong with them. And that's absolutely not the case. It's that another human's pain or fear has been projected onto them and they've then taken it personally. So it's a really valuable thing to learn. And it doesn't mean, of course, that we can't stand up for ourselves. That's really important to be able to stand up for ourselves in a compassionate manner. And what I did with that birthday situation in future years was I just reminded people when my birthday was going to be so, so that they couldn't forget. There's one other thing I think that was really key at that time and that was just allowing vulnerability. You know, so many of the clients that come through my door are in a certain place and they think that they should be somewhere else and it's so valuable to just be able to let ourselves be lovingly as we are. And I knew back then that I just had to allow my sadness, allow my vulnerability, allow my fragility and be willing to reach out for support. That was really the beginning of me learning to crack open. The things that I didn't know that back then and one of the main things was I didn't understand the value of presence and 
what I was trying to do or what I thought I had to do was find love, acceptance from outside. I was feeling very depleted because I was working and had young children and didn't have a lot of support coming in. And so I thought I had to find that outside. And that's where most of us get us get it wrong is that we think that love comes from outside. And what I have discovered is this immense wellspring of love that is available to us inside of ourselves. So that concludes this episode of Building Worthiness. Please share this podcast with any friends or family or people you think may be interested and like it or subscribe. That really helps me. And check out my website at livingawarenesswa.com. I also have a Facebook and Instagram page, which are both Living Awareness WA. And I highly recommend Isaira, and her website is isaira.com. Much love to you all.